Welcome to the discussion Modern Government, Space Training and Readiness Command, sponsored by KPMG. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome. My guests today are Major General Sean Bratton, the Commander of the Space Training and Readiness Command for the U.S. Space Force, and Chief Master Sergeant James Tobias, the Senior Enlisted Leader of the Space Training and Readiness Command for also the U.S. Space Force. Uh, Major Br General Bratton and Chief Tobias, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Oh, thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, pleasure to be here. What we're talking about today is is not just the Space Readiness and Training Command, but really how are your plans to train guardians? How's that evolving? It's it's in many ways it's very new, but in some ways the the Air Force you know has been training folks in in this world of space for quite a while. So let me start at the beginning there. The the Space Readiness and Training Command's overarching plan goals, train guardians. Major General, can you lead us off and, and let us know some of those high level uh, goals? Yeah, Jason, thanks. It's a great question. We talk about it every day. It's been about a year since we stood up Space Training and Readiness Commander, what we call STARCOM. Definitely has the coolest name of anything in the Space Force. And Chief and I were working it before the stand-up even all through last spring and summer of 21. But the mission of STARCOM really boils down to preparing guardians, prepare the guardians of the Space Force for competition and conflict um, should we be called upon to do that? And so we think about how do we train, how do we educate, how do we test new hardware, new capabilities, all sort of falls within Starcom's mission. Uh, but that, the key to that mission absolutely is the, the guardians, the people that we are training, and, and what are the things we need to do as a new service um, as we bring members in just, just right off the street as brand new accessions into the military, but also members of the Army and Navy and Air Force and Marine Corps that are transferring into the Space Force. How do we take what they already know and just better prepare them uh, for competition and conflict? That's really what the prop, the challenge ahead of us, um, the thing we think about every day that keeps us coming to work. What's interesting about that, what you, how you described it was you're, you're dealing with two separate things here. You have new people, as you said, folks coming off the street, and then you have folks from the different services who are bringing some knowledge base. How do you meet both of those needs without you know, either A, starting at a too high of a level for some folks, or B, starting at too low of a level for other folks. Yeah, I'll tell you, um, I'll talk just for a minute, and then and then Chief will drop some wisdom on us. The, the, the folks coming in from the other services bring a ton of experience, and that's important for a couple of reasons. Certainly for culture and identity. You know, we're not just the Air Force, although many Guardians came from the Air Force, but, but an, probably an equal number are divvied up from the other services and from uh, you know, former civilians that just came right into the Space Force without having been part of a new organization. So like you point out, there's different needs there. Um, for the folks coming in from the other services, we look at their record, their experience, we talk to them, and then they get to essentially skip ahead in training, um, in some cases, all the way ahead. And so we don't put them through stuff that they already know how to do. We don't want to, we don't want to um, waste their time in that way, waste our resources. But really what we want is to get them right onto the operations floor into their job so they can help us figure out all these kind of tough problems that are ahead, ahead of the Space Force. Um, Chief, what would, you, what would you add? Yes, sir, I, I would add for the uh, US sessions coming in off the street, you know, we are, we are being very selective in who actually makes the cut to come be a part of the Space Force. And because of that, uh, you know, no different with the ISTs, we're looking for specific skill sets and backgrounds. We're looking for a set of soft skills and experiences. And so 
from a training and readiness perspective, um, you know, we, we feel that uh, based on, on on that criteria, the training and experiences that we're setting up is probably even matched to the folks that we're bringing in. Uh, that 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 swath of folks coming in is probably not as wide as in some of the other services in terms of um, the different skill sets and experiences. And so our, our training is is, is shaped uh, to get after both both the inner service transfers and the newest sessions in that way. I love the fact you mentioned soft skills. There's, there's so often people don't talk about what those soft skills are. It's always the harder skills. Maybe just give me a sense of how those soft skills fit into those bigger priorities around training and education. Yeah, so the, the way the soft skills fit in uh, across the board is, I mean, they're, they're, they're not just uh, part of the training and development. They're also rooted into our, our, our core values, our four C's. We don't want just someone who can and push a button. We also want someone who can think critically and creatively and bring their own personal experience and their own personal opinions and, and their talents uh, to each level uh, of, of, the, of the battlefield, so to speak. Um, and so throughout their, their training experience, we, we, we were going to get to a point to where, uh, you know, from basic training through, whether that's, you know, basic training for the enlisted or OTS for the officers, uh, we're going to embed that in, you know, at that stage. We'll also follow up with, you know, an initial skills training or what we call tech school, uh, kind of interweaving that back into uh, not just the training, but, you know, also, you know, in, into what it means to be a guardian. Um, and so, it, it, you know, the end state is that we hope that we get to a point to where these soft skills just become the skills that a guardian has. Yeah, I think we, we talk a lot about, you know, all, all these missions, everything we do, true in almost every organization, I think, are, are done by teams. And so, you know, you can be real smart, but you got to be effective as part of the team. You got to be able to connect with your team members, contribute, list, you know, be a leader, be a follower. Um, all those things, that's absolutely required for us in the Space Force. In many ways, that's what all training in DOD across all the military services and defense agencies really focus on, is that being an effective leader, being an effective follower, understanding your role. So, so let's maybe talk a little bit about those priorities. What are you hoping, is, when it comes to training and education, what are you trying to do over the next six or nine months? And even talk about, you know, the, the plans to create and evolve your testing range and, and some of those other initiatives that, that come underneath those priorities. Yeah, Jason, it was great as we, you know, we're finishing up our first year and our birthday's coming up later in August. Um, our priorities for the first year, we had a couple of very clear kind of go-dos from General Raymond, one of which was establish independent uh, professional military education for the Space Force uh, by 2023 is what's written in the capstone document. And so we, you know, out of the gate, even before our establishment, we knew we had to deliver that, not just because General Raymond said so, but because it, the Space Force needs to educate the force um, as a new service, it's a responsibility we have. So we've been working hard on that in year one, and I think you'll see, uh, we'll see that get start to begin delivered in our second year uh, to align with the deadline that General Raymond gave us. But, but also right out of the gate, we really started working on what is our vision for training? Where do we wanna be? 10 years from now, and then what's the roadmap that's gonna get us there? That that document, the planning team has been working on, we think we have it uh, well codified, and we're about to publish that. It really articulates this vision, sort of like we already started to talk about on bringing together the soft skills with what the Space Force needs for a mission, and then walking that through, You know, whether you're a civilian coming off the street or coming in from another service, walking through from the you know most basic training to the most advanced, how we see that across a career and delivering the right training at the right time for our guardians. The, the kind of third area, in addition to training and education, and you mentioned it, that was a priority and, and maybe our most difficult tech, technical challenge was the build out of a training and testing 
uh, range or a complex. We, we put a big label on it, called it the National Space Test and Training Complex. Um, at the Pentagon, sometimes they talk about it as, as operational test and training infrastructure, but it's really the kind of, hey, what's the gym and the tools you need in the gym to, for the force to go work out and get stronger and better um, and, and work on things like teamwork and integration of capabilities. And so, you know, the build out of that range complex that we talk about, um, and we put a lot of time and energy on that in, in our first year. And I think we're, we're beginning to deliver some capabilities, but we're going to maintain focus on that for our second year for certain. So to go backward for a second, because uh, you got my reporter antenna up a little bit when you talk about the roadmap and, and we're almost ready to, to release that. So first I'll have to ask you the obvious question. Do you want to give us any kind of preview of it? Uh, I, I think I know the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, I think for the, for the training vision and roadmap document, um, you know, I think we will, that will be available in the near future. And by that, I mean, within the next couple of months, but it really articulates that where are we trying to get to as an end state? How do we think about intelligence and cyber operations and space operations and training and, and really the integration of those together? It comes back to that, that teamwork piece of, I can't just train an Intel operator separate from a cyber operator, separate from a space operator and, and acquires and engineers. Really, I need to train them collaboratively. So I think you'll see us emphasize integration and training on what are opportunities to bring those communities together. And because we're, the Space Force is so small, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to do things different in that way. Mainly our scale allows us to do that. So we're, we're excited about it. I, I think that's a great point that people maybe don't realize is roughly what's the size of the Space Force these days? And when you say, and because you almost are starting not quite a blank sheet of paper, but you have this really great opportunity to really rethink how you deliver training. So. So I know there's two questions in there, maybe the size of the Space Force roughly. Yeah, today, I, um, I don't have the exact number, but we're right around 16,000. I think our end strength goal for this fiscal year is 8,400. Chief's nodding, so that, that gives me confidence that I got the number right. But yeah, 8,400, but we don't get a lot bigger than that. You know, we grow to be about 18,000. It'll always be about half civilian employees and half military uniform members. And then, of course, we're supported by industry and a contractor force um, that, that keeps us going every day. Well, I appreciate the fact you said that the uh, roadmap and vision will be out in the next couple of months and uh, hopefully we'll make it public where we can uh, also uh, find that and make sure folks can uh, get a look at that as well. On the training range, maybe add a little more detail around that too, because I think when people think of range, they think of, oh, I go someplace and I, and I take advantage of the technology or whatever it is this is more of a concept or is it actually, you know, I'll call it a schoolhouse, right? It's a place you go and you get hands-on technology, hands-on equipment, hands-on training. Give me, give me a sense. Yeah, I'll start and then, um, and I'll hand it over to the chief, but it's, it's a very different thing. And it took us a while to wrap our arms around it. But, you know, when you think of like air, land, or sea, there's places, you know, in the United States where we have carved out, there's places in the United States where we have carved out a piece of real estate, essentially, and we use that for training. Southern Nevada for the Air Force, the National Training Center in California that the Army uses, you know, areas where the Navy does testing, all, all in a very physical sense of we own this real estate, we're gonna we're gonna test and train here. Well, we you know you can't do that in low Earth orbit. There, there's no sovereignty um, claims to be made to an area of space, and so we think about it much more in if we want to do a test activity on orbit, how do we do that safely? How do we notify 
the right folks so people understand what we're doing, that we um, that we're operating within agreed upon norms of behavior. And so it, a lot of it is behavioral aspects. Um, but for the, the physical nature of the range, the things that you need, we need to be able to observe the activity. We need to be able to command and control the spacecraft. And so a lot of it is ground infrastructure that supports on-orbit activities um, that comes into play. Chief, what would you add to that? Yeah, and I think you're spot on, right? You know, our, our domain is, is so different, right? It's not like uh, any of our guardians, at least for now, maybe in the future someday, will ever be able to go up into space and actually see you know, the things that are happening, uh, you know, from, from from the other end of what they, they do here on, on, on the planet, on the earth, excuse me. Um, you know, and, and one of our one of our challenges there is not not just, you know, enabling the tech to be able to do it, but be able to create an environment to where they know Kenny can understand and uh, understand the impact of the, the, of the decisions they make, the analysis they do, uh, the work they perform to actually see it, because inherently, when you see some of that and when you go through some of the actual experience, that's that's honestly where, where you build your culture, right? You understand the mission a little better when you actually get to go do something. And so the range is meant to do just that, to provide that, albeit virtual, uh, but to give them that live experience of, of what it's like to actually do uh, their mission and, and, and to, to work through uh, failure and challenges and, and lessons learned and, and get after those things so that they can be uh, prepared and, and ready to go should and when if that time comes. Well, Chief, you brought up the word culture. We're going to get to that in our next segment. First, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the discussion, Modern Government, Space Training and Readiness Command, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. Is your agency feeling the pressure to modernize? A new app isn't enough. Becoming modern requires rethinking the way you operate. At KPMG, we help agencies optimize their business functions, enable the workforce with digital platforms and tools, and protect critical assets from ever-changing threats. Meet current and future mission requirements by continuously improving and constantly adapting with KPMG by your side. To learn more, go to read.kpmg.us/modgov. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Modern Government, Space Training and Readiness Command, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Major General Sean Bratton, Commander of the Space Training and Readiness Command for the U.S. Space Force, and Chief Master Sergeant James Sabias, Senior Enlisted Leader of the Space Training and Readiness Command, also with the U.S. Space Force. Now, gentlemen, before break, we, we were talking about this idea of, of training and the training range. And... Uh, Chief Sabias, you talked about culture, and that's where I want to go next. I think that's so important when you're talking about a new organization and understanding what that new organization is trying to do and, and the goals around it. And recently, the Space Force held a boot camp at Joint Base San Antonio. Give me a little bit of background about that boot camp and then maybe how it's setting that tone for the, for current and future training efforts. Yeah, absolutely, Jason. So, yeah, we, we did. Uh, we launched our first uh, iteration of Space Force-specific, Guardian-only basic training um, and they, they graduated in June after seven and a half weeks. So the time frame is, is, is just as long as the Air Force. But prior to that, um, our basic training had been uh, ingrained with the Air Force. And so our guardians were coming in, um, mixed in with Air Force flights, uh, learning a little bit about Air Force culture and air, you know, learning the Air Force song and all those sorts of things. And so uh, when we launched our first iteration of, of, of Space Force basic training, uh, it was guardian only, uh, pushed by guardian military training instructors. Uh, in a dedicated space on Lackland Air Force Base that was specifically just for the Space Force. And so uh, that was significant for, for multiple reasons, um, the, the biggest of which was identity, right? Uh, one of the feedback uh, 
some of the feedback, excuse me, that we had heard from guardians that went through previously was that they, they felt like airmen. Um, and part of that was because they, they were integrated, uh, but uh, and another part of that was um, the, the uniforms, right? And so earlier this year, uh, the Space Force launched uh, new enlisted insignia um, for, for both our, our, our battle uniform as well as our, our dress blues. And so the Guardians not, not only get to wear those stripes, um, they, they get to wear the uniform, um, and then even uh, PT gear was designated as specific colors, and now they, they wear that. And so when our Guardians now go to basic training, now they have a specific identity. They're pushed by Guardians. Uh, when they have questions about what they will be doing in the future, what it's like, uh, they get that directly right from a Guardian. And so uh, it was it was pretty significant. The curriculum uh, wasn't completely revamped, but it was significantly changed. We added about 35 hours of Space Force-specific curriculum uh, that got after um, the different things that we prioritize in, in the Space Force, our core values, um, you know, a better understanding of which each of the uh, different specialties bring uh, to the fight. Uh, to include them even getting uh, threat briefs from from operational folks uh, here at Starcom. And so uh, pretty significant milestone. Uh, they're right in the middle of the second iteration right now. Um, and so we, we hope to see some qualitative uh, you know feedback from that. but we, we definitely know that that's going to pay a, a direct uh, contribution to building that culture uh, that we're trying to set in space Wars. It, it's Jason, it's funny we, we chief and I talk about this all the time and, and we've been out and talked to the Marine Corps, we've talked to, um, organizations who we think do this well, and we've had some great help come in uh, as we talk, as we think about what does it mean for the Space Force, this idea of identity, how do you make someone feel like a guardian, even after they've left the force, you know, we, we all have probably have seen, you know, someone who's done a one term in the Marine Corps, and then 60 years later, they're still flying the Marine Corps flag, and they got a sticker on the back of their car, you know, what is it that makes them makes them do that. Um, I, I have a good friend who went to Texas A&M and spent four years there. And if you've ever met someone from Texas A&M, you know how passionately they feel about that institution, but how they also stay very involved and they're, they're very connected. And so somewhere, it, you know, these organizations that do this well in, in a small number of years are able to really um, give that sense of identity and belonging to the organization. And there's a lot of things that they do and we're trying to absolutely incorporate those into the Space Force. Um, in healthy ways so that people feel a strong connection to the force, uh, that they're, they're part of an organization that is bigger than any one of us, for sure. And then we want that sense of belonging to continue. You know, even if they make a choice to leave the service and go out to industry, we still want to, hey, you, you know, you're still a guardian, you're still part of the team. Um, and, and so how we make that connection, time will tell if we're successful. But, you know, basic training is absolutely one place where we're just trying to set that right off the start, that, that good, found, strong foundation. All right, here's the hardest question in the interview. Uh, I'm going to give this to the chief. You mentioned the Air Force has a song. Does the Space Force have a song? <laughs> so we, we have an interim song. Uh, an interim the, the song. Still, decision has not been made uh, just yet. The interim song is called Invincible Eagle. Uh, we play it in, in our formations and ceremonies and things like that, but it, it is uh, and a final decision has not yet been made. It's coming. I will not put I will not put you on the spot and ask you to sing a few bars, but I will hold that in my back pocket if we somehow run out of things to talk about. Fair enough. I appreciate that. All right, thank you. So I was I want uh, one of the things you did talk about is building um, is is listening to some of the feedback, and I think that's so important when you talk about training and education is not just thinking you know everything, but listening to the people who are getting that education, who are getting that training. How do you incorporate that user-centered design, that human feedback into 
the, the continued evolution of, of space and training command? Yeah, so uh, I, I think for, for me, uh, the place to start to answer that question is, you know, looking at training holistically, right? We're, we want to evolve training differently. What does that mean? Uh, when, when you look at the other services, um, just when you compare sheer numbers, and again, I'll use the enlisted numbers because I know them pretty intimately. Um, the Army, as an example, recruits about 120,000 soldiers a year in basic training. Um, so then they in turn have to kick out that many to their their tech schools. Um, we are recruiting 500 enlisted. And so when you look at that, uh, that enables you to do training differently. You, you're, you're not then creating a widget. You're not kicking out just, you know, it's, it's not an industrial model uh, approach to, to training and education and development. And so because of that, uh, we can do things a little bit differently. We can make them a little bit more tailored and then we can change uh, a little bit more fluidly. And so uh, by, by doing that, we can definitely incorporate the feedback. We we already do it in in certain instances with regards to um, with, with regards to training, and so we, we plan to kind of spread that across the board. Uh, again, as we evolve training, it is a work in progress, um, and but that that I think is going to be one of the things where you know we really we really uh, do things differently. Uh, the other thing, just in general, that we, we're trying to emphasize, and this is to, to all guardians, officer enlisted and civilian, is that in the space force, we want every guardian to have a voice. Um, the boss and I, when we're on the road or when we're at, you know, in any kind of forum that makes, that makes sense, we tell people, Hey, if you ever have anything, please, you know, shoot us an email. And, and it's, it's not just platitudes. We mean that with sincerity. And because of our size, if we do get some of the feedback, we have the ability from our, our positions to actually influence some of that change. Um, but it, it's not hard to do that because everybody is really on board with trying to get after this. And that's just one of the ways that we're trying to do that and incorporate the guardian and the student uh, and their input and to try and make it the best experience that they can possibly have. Yeah, we had, Chief and I were down at, at basic training talking to those um, young guardians before they graduated. And, and one of them asked, uh, just the, the best question that I can ask is, hey, what are you going to do to retain me? You know, why? What makes? Why should I stay in the space force now? I'm like, hey, you're only you're only six weeks in. You know, let's try it out. But it was a great question, and and we have to deliver on kind of our piece of the contract. And that these ideas of, hey, we, you know, this is this is about service to your country, absolutely. Um, but we want to make you a better person while we're on that journey to serve the country together and to be able to, you know, be ready for competition and conflict. I, and we're going to deliver that to you in training and education from Starcom. You're going to gain experiences, you know, in the operations command. You're going to gain, um, you know, wisdom and experience. Certainly, if you're working in the acquisition command, that, that is valued in other places. But the, the idea of continuous learning, continuous education, we're really trying to incorporate this. It's not just basic training and initial skills, and then you're off to the races. We need to deliver more and more advanced training opportunities for advanced degrees, and continue to kind of grow our force as they. Um, as they grow in experience and their time with us. We've covered a lot of ground in our conversation and we're, we're running up against the clock here. So I definitely don't want to uh, miss out on this idea of the evolution. You guys are about a year into it. You, you've, you've continually, as you said, evolved, continually progressed in terms of how you think about training. What are some of those areas you are looking at next? I'll ask, what have you done for me lately, right? Where are you going over the next six or nine months, a year from now? Uh, Things like electronic warfare, are there plan there's a planned exercise later this year, next around things like that. Is there anything you can give us on those in those areas? Yeah, I, I'll give you one. So we, we certainly spent uh, uh, quite a bit of time, like we talked about, just delivering basic training in the first year. I think you'll you'll we'll see, not completely, but a little of our attention shift to the more advanced training venues. 
And you mentioned the electronic warfare exercise. So we're going to have a series of exercises. We call it the skies series. So black skies, red skies, blue skies. Uh, black skies is an electronic warfare exercise. Um, we're going to, some of that will be a, what we call a live fire. So we use actual systems and operators, but to really put them through their paces in a more advanced training environment. Um, and then we owe that to our cyber operators and our orbital warfare operators. The intelligence is incorporated in all of these exercises, but really bringing the team together, not in the, in the fundamentals, but, you know, up in our game a little bit and presenting them with a more difficult challenge. And we'll do that uh, through the Sky Series next year, and then we'll follow with the others in subsequent years. Um, that, that's certainly one of the key areas, areas that we're going to focus on in our, in our second year as Starcom. Um, Chief, what's, a, what's another thing? We've started with a, a, a few pathfinders uh, on different initiatives. Some have just been in conversation. Uh, some have been executed. As General Bratton touched on, uh, you know, we, we are looking at, at advanced degrees or degrees and advanced degrees for our enlisted force, all, all in the name of professional development. We're not just trying to you know, get people um, you know, to check boxes and have things underneath the resume. We actually want to put whatever it is we develop them with uh, to use. And so uh, going into year two, uh, you know, the plan is obviously to kind of, you know, look at some other op opportunities there uh, to either partner with institutions and and and, uh, and continue with that that um, that toolbox, if you will, of, of professional development opportunities are. Uh, another thing that that we're moving towards is, uh, you know, we still rely pretty heavily on the Air Force for for a lot of things, and and we will uh, into perpetuity. Uh, one of the areas uh, in training uh, is the tech schools. Um, the tech training, uh, we we own one of the schoolhouses, uh, but the 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 main other two for cyber and intel are owned by the Air Force. And so last, um, gosh, it's it's two months now. I was going to say last month, but it was actually in June. Uh, we stood up a detachment at Goodfellow Air Force Base in San Angelo, Texas, uh, for the intel uh, uh, tech school. Uh, it'll be uh, it'll it'll start off with about five folks. Uh, we put, we hope to grow that. Um, and then we're hoping this fall we're able to do the same at Keyser Air Force Base uh, out in Mississippi. And so, um, you know, part of year two is is getting getting their footing underneath them and figuring out what it is they need to do to develop and, and create space curriculum. Um, acculturation is going to be a huge part of why they're there as well. Uh, so that our guardians that are going through those trainings, again, our numbers are so small, we don't want them to kind of be uh, left out on their own. Um, and so those are just a couple of the aspects that we're looking uh, to evolve. And then you know, where it makes sense from a, um, we don't own policy at the Starcom level, but the, the, the programs that we do own uh, start to create some sort of um, kind of stepping stone for folks to kind of build on, right? When you're creating a lot of new things, um, there's a bit of uncertainty because there's nothing you can repeat. There's no program, there's nothing codified. And so as we go through year two, that'll be, uh, you know, another goal of ours to kind of create some routine that we can build on um, and then continue to go uh, down the path of uh, evolving and innovating new things. I've learned so much from our conversation today. Unfortunately, we're out of time and your plate is full. So we will definitely come back and, and ask you more about it in the coming uh, weeks, months, and years. Well, first, let me thank my guests. Major General Sean Bratton is the commander of the Space Training and Readiness Command for the U.S. Space Force. General Bratton, thank you so much for taking the time today. Hey, Jason, thanks to you and uh, anyone listening. Really appreciate it. Our pleasure. And Chief Master Sergeant James Tobias is the senior listed leader of the Space Training and Readiness Command at the U.S. Space Force as well. Chief Master Sergeant Tobias, thank you as well. Yeah, Jason, thank you so much. Hopefully uh, this was beneficial for you and, and anyone who listens.
Definitely. We all learned a lot. Uh, I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Modern Government, Space Training and Readiness Command, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search KPMG. Thank you for listening to the discussion Modern Government, Space Training and Readiness Command, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network.